I'll try. One, two, it's I love this, you should too. <laughs> Three, four, podcast time some more. <laughs> podcast time some more? Yeah. Okay. Five, six, check out my audio mix. <laughs> Seven, eight, podcast real late. <laughs> Nine, ten, next week we'll do it again. <laughs> Welcome to I Love This, You Should Too, everyone. We are members of the Alberta Podcast Network, which is locally grown and community supported. My name is Indy Never Sleep Again Randawa, and with me is the woman who gets swallowed by her bed every night, <laughs> Samantha Randawa. Woo! You're able to get out for a bit. Yes, no, no. I escaped for the amount of time that we are doing this podcast. And then right back. And then I have to go back. Yeah, yeah I made fair. a deal. How are you, Indy? Feeling spooky. So spooky. We are officially in Spooktober, and I'm feeling the spook. That's what my t-shirt's going to say. Feeling the spook. That kind of sounds like you molest ghosts. Oh, no. It was like feeling like you're... One with ghosts. Oh, like you're going to die soon. No, 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 no. Like you understand them. Like you're right. like, I'm one with ghosts. Yeah, because I'm a ghost. You're a ghost? Yeah. You were a ghost the whole time? That was the big twist. Whoa. <laughs> Coming out on episode whatever this is, like 177 or something. Yeah. He was a ghost the whole time. That would be great because of where we started off. Our first movie was The Sixth Sense. Yeah, it's come full circle. Yeah. Little did I know that we got married mid, you know, show and then you were just dead the whole time. Dead the whole time? <laughs> I don't think that makes our marriage legal. You can't marry a ghost? No. Ghosts don't have marriage rights in this country? No. Love is love, man. Okay. Love is love. You should be able to marry a ghost, I say. Okay. Again, you marry like inanimate objects like can't the eiffel you? tower and like did you say why can't you no i said can't you i i don't believe you can no oh wasn't there a lady who married like the london bridge or something was it? I, I i don't know anything about that i don't believe it's legal here at least okay. who knows what's going on in england true their monarch can just say whatever yeah you can marry this bridge no big deal <laughs> and then they'll be like oh actually that's tower bridge people just call it london bridge all right. the time well, enough of our bullshit nonsense. Let's get into things. So we are doing all spooky movies for the month of Spooktober. Mm -hmm. And we're starting things off today with the original A Nightmare on Elm Street. And we're going to get into it. This is going to be a spoil-filled episode. So, so if you spoiled. haven't seen it, like you've had, uh, what, 37 years? Yeah. Is that the right math on that? Probably. Something like that. Something around there. So really, you should have seen it by now. We're going to spoil it all. But before we do that, let's thank our first sponsor of the day. And this episode of I Love This You Should Too is brought to you by Alberta Blue Cross. Even if you're a busy business owner with more meetings than hours in a day, you can be calm and collected when your group benefit plan is taken care of by Alberta Blue Cross. Your employees can manage their own health, dental, life, and disability coverage online anytime and on any device, making it easier for them and for you. To learn more and explore your options, head to ab.bluecross.ca. All right, Sam, let's get into it. So we are doing this entire series. 
you hadn't seen any of them. And if you recall from last episode, folks out there, Sam actually had no concept of these movies no. at all. Which it's hard growing up in like the 80s and 90s to not know about Freddy Krueger. Yeah, somehow, again, like our first episode, I had no idea what the twist in The Sixth Sense was. I also didn't know like what Freddy Krueger was all about. So I, I think well, you just had to start at the beginning, A Nightmare on Elm Street. What yeah. did you think? Um, I liked it. It was fun. Um, it was kind of campy. It was like... Kind of cool to see Johnny Depp before he was, like, serious actor Johnny Depp. Yeah. Um, And uh, it was a lot of fun to, like, kind of go on this high school journey with these kids and then also see the, like, adult backstory. So, yeah, I just – I enjoyed it. And I thought um, the, like, dream sequences were done pretty well. And uh, I think the idea of being able to, like, cross from dreams to waking and, like, bring stuff back with you is kind of a neat idea. So you're overall positive on it? I am, yes. I uh, I still love it. it I love up. this movie. I think it is very good. There are, of course, glaring uh, kind of errors in it. And there's, like, big things that was like, oh, well, that doesn't work. But... It's a low-budget movie from 84, and I think its central concept and story is so good that, yeah, I love this movie still. I think it's one of my favorite of this type. I think it kind of gets dismissed because it became such a pop culture phenomenon, and we have all of these kind of tropes we expect of horror movies, and Mm -hmm. we just kind of blanket all horrors and especially slashers under that. And I think the originals in a lot of those big series, like your Halloween, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, Mm -hmm. they, of course, do, yes, go into those realms, but they don't start there. What they start off with is something much better and much smarter than I think a lot of people give it credit for. Yeah, I also appreciated... Now, and I can't remember what the phenomenon is when you, like, see something and then you you see it everywhere. I feel like now I'm seeing, like, references from this, like, everywhere. You are going to have a hard time watching a lot of horror movies without seeing references to this. So this next month, there's... Things are going to pop up all over the yes. place. And you're like, oh, that's where that comes from. Like, um, you don't use TikTok, but I enjoy watching TikTok. And uh, they're using the, like, never sleep again or, like, don't fall asleep yeah. audio clip in TikToks right now. Oh, And I saw it last week before we had um, started watching these movies. So I didn't know what it was and i thought it was just like you know just like a spooky audio clip because it's spooked over mm-hmm. um but uh now i saw one after we'd watched the movie and i was like that's from nightmare on elm street yeah and i was like i get it now and it's so funny those little like nuggets of like pop culture that i would have just totally like gone over my head and we'll talk about the pop culture impact as this series goes on but not too much today because we actually have a really good movie to talk about. Yes. And that's, uh, I don't want to spoil things too much. That's not always going to be the case with the rest of this series. <laughs> but it does get more popular, bigger. There are Freddy albums being released. He's like, like songs? Yeah. 
What? We'll we'll get there. It gets <laughs> it gets crazy, and I kind of am looking forward to going on this journey of watching these movies and looking at the pop culture that was coming out around that time because I was too young for these. Of course, I watched them when I was still too young, but mm-hmm. when they were actually coming out, I was like a, a year old, so I have no concept of yeah, what they you were didn't like. See them when but they now were I'm new. going back and looking, and I've been watching that documentary. Oh, right, yeah. I think it's called Never Sleep Again. I'll, I'll let you know right. by next episode, because that's when it's. I'll start referencing it more. But it got big, and the stories behind the scenes are kind of interesting of where, why it goes into certain places. Hmm. And I think if this is your only reference point for these movies, you might be surprised at some of the places it goes to in the future. Cool. But let's talk about this one. I would say the best one, the original 1984, A Nightmare on Elm Street. And I'm going to give you a little bit of background information on uh, the production of it, because Mm -hmm. that's kind of interesting. And unlike a lot of movies, the production problems directly lead to what's on screen. Oh, okay. Uh, We'll talk some theme stuff, because you know I love that. Why is this movie spooky? Why does it work for me? Why do I love it so much? And then we can just talk about some of like, the fun things, like, oh, that shot was great. How'd they do that? Yeah. And I love some of those kills. They were pretty cool. Yeah. So apparently Wes Craven, who yeah. is the writer and director, mm-hmm. and if you're not familiar with Wes Craven, he has kind of shaped the face of horror over decades, really. In, uh, I think it's 72, his last house on the left comes out, and that's... Like a real touchstone for those grimy, kind of gross 1970s horror movies. And not gross and gory, but like everything is, it's unsettling. Right. And then 84, he has Nightmare on Elm Street, which is one of the biggest slasher 80s, maybe the biggest franchise. It's Halloween, Friday the 13th, and Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh. So he really directs where horror is going in the 80s. And of course, he has other movies as well, but these are the, the big ones. And then you think he's done with stuff. And then in the 90s, he revitalizes horror again with Scream. Wow. So he makes three real big touchstones that really separate those decades of horror mm-hmm. and really encapsulates where things are going to go for for the next 10 years like he did some really really influential stuff and he gets the idea for this movie there were these stories coming out of uh, cambodian immigrants who had fled uh, pol pot and were living in the united states mm-hmm. and there were multiple instances of teenage boys dying in their sleep from fright essentially oh and they started calling it um like asian death syndrome or something like that but it was it was was like ptsd probably it's undetermined okay but uh, one of the stories that he had read and he shares in this interview is that there's this boy and he doesn't want to go to sleep because he keeps saying to his parents, like, I'm going to die in my sleep. My dreams are going to kill me. And oh. of course, parents are like, no, that's not it. Yeah. You need to sleep. So they end up giving him sleeping pills and he's still not sleeping. And two nights later, he's finally is sleeping, but he his parents are awoken with him screaming in his sleep and thrashing around. And they come into the room and he's like kind of having fits, but he's oh. asleep. And then he dies. Wow. Just in his sleep. And he like predicted it. Yeah. Like he knew. 
And then they find all of the sleeping pills. He had never taken them because he was trying to stay up because he didn't want to die in his sleep. And they also find a coffee maker that he had hidden in one of his drawers so he could keep drinking coffee, which is something that we see directly that uh, Nancy does in this movie. Oh, wow. I didn't realize it was like that taken from stories. Wow. So it comes from that. And despite having a couple of successful horror movies in the 70s, no one's touching this movie. He has a script. No one will do it. And he gets finally to New Line Cinema. (laughs) New Line Cinema doesn't make movies. No? They were a distribution house. Oh. A distribution house is different than a a studio because they aren't making the movies. But if someone has made a movie, has a final version, they can come to New Line and say like, here you go. And now you get it into screenings in different places. Right. But they didn't even do much of that. What they mostly did, because the head of this was a copyright lawyer. So what they mostly did was wait for movies, copyrights to lapse, and then they'd buy them up and distribute them. Okay. So it was really just like making money without doing much work, right. essentially. Yeah. But then they come across this script and they decide like, yeah, we're going to get into production. This is going to be the movie. So this is an entire company's, I think their very first movie. Oh, wow. Like one that they're like producing and like. Yes, they're yeah. going to produce and distribute. Wow. I remember seeing Neoline Cinema on like every movie I watched for a yeah. while. And it's it because like of this movie. Yeah. New Line Cinema, it's often called the, the house that Freddie built because they would not exist very literally. They wouldn't exist without oh, the success of this movie. Interesting. Okay. This, yeah, this did everything for them. So when they decide to do this, they mortgage everything. And if this were to have been a failure, New Line would have been out of business. Right. Because all of their money was tied up in this. But also, Wes Craven was doing much the same thing. He just wanted it to get made. And because of that, he signed away all the rights to the characters and the franchise to get it made from New Line. He said, like, you make this and then you can have the franchise and the characters. Because he's a horror director from the 80s at this time. Franchises weren't a thing. Right. We weren't not making coming out all the time. nine or ten sequels to everything. Yeah, I guess or Halloween. creating entire and, universes. Yeah, Halloween and Friday the 13th had come out, but that that's an exception. Right. He has done horror movies before, and nothing gets sequels. That's just not how those things worked. Mm-hmm. So he signs away the rights, and that's going to come into the next, what do we have, seven movies. <laughs> <laughs> or at least six of them. And we'll talk about it when we get there, but the ending of this movie um, I don't love. <laughs> I don't know how you feel about it. But it was done for the producer because he wanted a sequel. Right. Wes Craven's ending was Nancy turning his back on Freddy and walking out into the sunlight the next morning to reality that right. she has she has succeeded. She has uh, gotten over her fear, essentially. Mm-hmm. She's beaten fig- Freddy by figuratively conquering her fears. Mm-hmm. And that's the end. And I think that's a solid ending. Yeah. But now we have this sequence. There's actually like four or five different endings. And depending on when you watch this, you might have seen a different ending. And we have um, the Blu-ray, so we got to watch the different endings. All four. And they're all just slightly different, but more or less the same. And the important thing is a hint that Freddy's not gone. In Mm -hmm. fact, they might still be in a dream right now. Freddy's still in control. Yes. Which is interesting. Yeah, this is a time... In the 80s, which I was not alive, but I know that, like, movies were one-offs. You didn't really get a sequel to most things. Yeah. 
And good for the new line guy for banking on it because he made an entire company out of it. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And then Heather Langenkamp, who plays Nancy, apparently beat out 200 people for that role, some of which wow. included uh, Demi Moore, Courtney Cox, and there's some other big names too. I can't remember oh, right wow. now. Johnny Depp, it was kind of funny. I've heard conflicting stories about how he got in on this, but he was dating this girl who left him and started dating this guy named Nicholas Coppola, who oh. then went on to change his name, uh, became yes. Nick Cage. But Nick Cage, despite dating the same woman as Johnny uh, Depp, said like, hey, you know what? I'm going to try this acting thing. You should try acting. You're a good looking guy. Johnny Depp had never acted. He was playing in a band and he wanted to be a musician. That was his thing. So Nicolas Cage got Johnny Depp into acting. Yeah. (laughs) From what I understand. That's wild. Johnny Depp would not have a career if it wasn't for Wes Craven's, like, 12-year-old daughter because they're casting for this role a role that's supposed to be a like surfer jock type mm-hmm. johnny depp is not that no he's, he's many things and um you could say he's great and everything i disagree with half of it although we've done like three johnny depp movies on this podcast we already. have because he did a lot of good stuff he... this is our second johnny depp knife-based hand movie true yeah. <laughs> that's such an odd like, way to file that away, but mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> Edward Scissorhands, which yeah. also great. Um, I do think that Johnny Depp is, like, deteriorating in talent, but I think that uh, I enjoy his earlier work. Oh, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Through the 90s, he's fantastic. He does a lot of good stuff. Yeah. But um, I mentioned the daughter because they were looking over pictures of who to cast in this role, and it's all these big jock guys, and Wes Craven's daughter says, like, no, pick him. He's dreamy. <laughs> and then he's like, yeah, maybe we should just go with, like, more of a sensitive, quiet, handsome type mm-hmm. instead of the big jock. And they did that. And what do you think of Johnny Depp's performance? Um, It's definitely obvious that this is his first acting job. But he definitely has, like, a, I don't know, charisma is probably the wrong word, but... Um, like, he's a charm to he's him. Got, he's charming. That's the better word for it. Um, and he definitely seems like your average kind of gawky teenage boy. That's like he's one not thing... the Riverdale equivalent of a teenage yeah. boy. He's... I love that the teenagers in this, although they're maybe like 20, 21, yeah. but they look like teenagers. They look like somebody you'd meet in high school. Yeah. As Especially yeah. Nancy. Yeah. I'm not sure how old she was, but yeah, she looks 16. She does. And she has that like kind of 16 year old just coming out of the awkward stage kind of like look yes too and um yeah like i really these were believable characters for me and then i think his name's rod like the jerk boyfriend there was a fun story or maybe not fun there's a sad story about him too because his last name is actually garcia but he knew that you can't get cast being hispanic Mm -hmm. so he pretended to be italian gets cast and there's actually a character in this movie named garcia oh interesting but and he also was dealing with a lot of drug issues at the time so the scene where he is in the cell apparently he was like not doing well and in a very very dark place but is doing well afterwards so good for him interesting yeah he yeah changed his name from jesus garcia Probably Jesus. Jesus to Nick Corey. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's interesting. And then he, I guess, built a career enough that he can, like, 
go by his regular name. And Robert England plays uh-huh. Freddy Krueger, and he is he is Freddy. So it's hard to imagine, but that was not the first choice. They had picked somebody else. At first, they just considered, like, just get a stuntman. Because usually for your Michael Myers, your Jason Voorhees, it's just a stuntman. Right. Because they're not makeup. acting. But that's not the case with Freddy. Or at least it's not now because of what Robert Englund did. Mm. So he really brought in a lot of these different things. So he made the character. Most of what happens on script is very flat and doesn't require much from him. So he could have played it much more like a a stoic Michael Myers type. Mm -hmm. But instead he started adding, maybe this is the right time for the word charisma, but there's something to him. Something that's more... Uh, playful and not just menacing. There's like yeah. a little mix of both. And for better or worse, that changes throughout. And Freddy's a, a tough one for me. What do you think about the character of Freddy Krueger? Um, I wish there had been just like three more minutes of backstory. Like I just felt like I didn't know enough about him. And I get that he's supposed to be this like enigma and like... Nancy only finds out about him like after she's met him a couple times but I also just like didn't really understand what his motivation was until the mom told that story yeah and that was like pretty late in the movie for backstory on your like secondary main character so mm-hmm. <laughs> I found that a little weird um I don't know if that's how you felt about it, but you also kind of know who he is, so. True, but I like that it gets revealed later mm-hmm. on because this movie, it deals a lot with not being able to trust your parents or that generation, mm-hmm. so I like that it does get revealed later. Freddy himself, because I love this movie. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite of those big franchises, the big yeah. horror franchises, Halloween, the original Halloween, might be my single favorite movie of them, but this is probably number two, and it's definitely up there. I love the atmosphere of this one Mm -hmm. more than most, and I love the blend of surrealism and all that, but I'm never sure if I like Freddy, because I guess it spoils a little bit, but I don't like where he goes, where his character becomes, and then I start, yeah, and then I start liking it, and you see the seeds of that in this, and there's certain things he does. Like when there's too much tongue work. Yeah. Okay. So some of the things that he did seemed kind of cheesy. Yeah. Like I like the way he moved. I like the way they introduced his character in the dream sequences and how um, they did that like whispery kind of voiceover. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't actually coming from him. It was like very much like she's hearing it in her brain, not in the world. Right. Um, So I kind of, I like that. I found like, yeah, some of the stuff that he does is kind of cheesy. But then again, I don't disagree at all, but this kind of invents that horror comedy genre, Mm -hmm. which I love so much. And in fact, I've made several horror comedy movies. That is my single genre that I have the most experience in in filmmaking. Mm -hmm. And that wouldn't exist without this. But then when I watch it, I just like, I would like it if it were just played straight more. Mm -hmm. I wish it didn't have the little gag type bits. Right. Because I don't think it adds anything at this point. Okay. You can make arguments for the other movies that that was their best part, but I don't think that's the case here. 
I don't know exactly where I end up on Freddy because I like that they're giving it to an actor who is doing something with it. He's like channeling Klaus Kinski's Nosferatu. He's bringing in Jimmy Cagney. He's doing all of these things. Mm. And it's it's fun and it adds something to it. He's not just some lumbering, unstoppable force like your Michael Myers or Jason Voorhees. That like dark shadow kind of yeah. villain. Yeah. And those work great in, in different movies, but this isn't that kind mm-hmm. of movie. So I ultimately don't love Freddy, but I guess it, it works. Yeah. I'm excited to have this conversation again in a couple episodes. Yes. Because I'm interested at the like progression of him. And like you said, he changes throughout the movies and you're not sure if it's for the better. So I'm excited mm-hmm. to watch for that. Yeah, because I did the series of movies where I get to play the big bad killer mm-hmm. and I change drastically through it from movie to movie. And when we are talking about him, Galen, the director, would say, like, give me more of a like a Nightmare on Elm Street 4 for this one. And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. And I can just like, I have those reference points right. now. And it's because of all of the things that Robert England does. Interesting. And he's Freddy throughout the entire series? Yes. Until, well, we'll talk about it in okay. part two. Uh, the very first shot is not actually him in this movie. Oh. Because uh, I think it was like a prop designer or something because it's that making the gloves thing. Oh, yeah. Okay. So you don't really even see. Yeah. You only see the sleeves of his sweater and like. Yes. But somebody sense. else was cast before Robert England. Oh, really? And I can't remember. They turned it down last minute because they had to shoot something else. And mm. then Robert England ends up making like. Eight movies, that's Freddy, and, and makes a career out of a it. A very, very rich man now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. He, he had done stuff before. He did, um, like, V, I think. But Does anybody else from this cast continue on? I feel, I'll just or say. Is that a spoiler? <laughs> I'll just say within the next seven movies, you will see some returning people. Okay. I'm not going to say who and when, though. That's fine. That's fine. I just wanted to know if it was, like, just Freddy or if other people. Some people might be back. Okay. Sounds good. And at this time, so many big monster villains were often actually misunderstood victims in their own right. Like you had, um, before this, of course, you had your King Kong and Frankenstein, who are the villains and big monsters, but you also have a little bit of sympathy for them. Right. Even Jason Voorhees, to an extent, he's a, he's a victim. But that's not the case with Freddy. Freddy is a straight-up child murderer, yeah. and now he's a supernatural child murderer. Yeah, <laughs> who haunts your dreams. And they make a point of not saying that he molests the children, mm-hmm. but that was in the original script. Then, when they're making this in California, a bunch of children were molested and killed. So then they were like, ooh, let's let's, um, cut about a a little bit of that out. But even though they take out the molestation part, it's still kind of there. Right. Like, he's he's violating people still, right? He's Mm -hmm. coming into people's dreams, into their minds, into their bedrooms and bathtubs. And that's that same sort of idea of, of violation. Oh, okay. Yeah. I uh I can see why they would take out the molestation. That's that's fair. Right after all those kids got molested, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's for just, the best. if it's too topical, it's not good. Um and uh I like I don't know, like I don't know how to phrase this, but like I like what a like limited access he has to them. Yes, that is a great it's like, it's like a light touch. Yeah. Like I, I Still don't really know how to, like, make that a sentence, but, like, it's really nice um, that it's not 
like he's has like all access to them because the idea that he can only come to you through your dreams it sets up rules mm-hmm. right away and in movies that are because this a lot of things don't quite make sense always but just having that kind of grounds you in not reality but in this world mm-hmm. it says that these are the rules and it spells it out for you right at the beginning. So you know what you're getting into when you're going into a world that has seemingly no rules because it's a dream. But Mm -hmm. we do have some. Yeah. And I appreciate that. And the idea of him getting you in your dreams is such a good idea Mm -hmm. for a horror movie. Because this character literally lives in the subconscious of these people Mm -hmm. just like horror movies are going to like live in your subconscious to frighten you right yeah all the all the good horror movie directors are relying on all of that information that you have from scary dreams from ghost stories from movies you've seen in the past and they touch on those Mm -hmm. and freddy's doing the exact same thing within the movie itself and i like that freddy is like quicksand it's like the harder you fight the easier it is for him to get you. Right. Because she's trying to stay awake and she's like becoming more and more prone to falling asleep like involuntarily. Mm -hmm. And then that's when Freddie can get her. So she's like by the end living in this like almost like half awake, half sleeping world. And it's really cool that like he really just like wears her down (laughs) yeah and i love the transitions between waking and sleeping because you think someone's awake and then something bizarre happens yeah like Like, the leaves in the hallway that's exactly what i was gonna say i love that (laughs) yeah and just her standing in the body bag and everything yeah maybe we'll have to just talk about that scene but i I love that whole sequence and the surrealism in this movie because you can tell like wes craven is He's a studious man. He's He knows his stuff because you can see a lot of Bunuel in there. You can see some Salvador Dali because mm-hmm. there was a time where Salvador Dali was directing movies too. He oh. he did guest spots on like a Hitchcock movie even in Spellbound. And I think there's a sequence where the steps start tur- turning into like sticky pudding, much like this. Oh, interesting. Um, Salvador Dali, I did not realize that he was from the movie Making H. Yeah, there's I so totally many people. I thought that he was like like a Picasso. No, he worked Well, yeah, Picasso died in like 74 or oh something. Oh my god. Okay. I think like, <laughs> I'm thinking like they're I think Picasso could have seen Star Wars. Oh my god. <laughs> I totally thought they were from like the 1800s. No, no, Dolly was um yeah, I don't know when he died, but he worked with Hitchcock. Interesting. Yeah. So that was in the 50s. He was making movies. So I'm not sure when he died. Oh, I totally thought both of those were like 1800s, 1700s. <laughs> I got really old. <laughs> and the attacking you in your sleep is such a good idea because in all those horror movies, it's kind of like the, there's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. Right. And the only respite you get, the only rest anyone can have is in their sleep. Yeah. And now you have that taken away yeah. from you. And that is something that everyone can relate to. Everyone's been like super tired at some point. Mm-hmm. And the idea of your dreams and going to sleep being the problem, mm-hmm. like there's there's no way to get away from that. Because sleep is safety. It is. Usually. Yeah. And you're that's tucked up in bed, you're warm, you're like It's the safest place. Yeah, you're away from the public. Like it's definitely less likely that you're gonna get murdered in your sleep than it is like just wandering around. And that's the kind of real basic thing that I love that Craven taps into. The idea of 
nowhere being safe or the safest place in the world because a lot of the times where she's getting attacked it's mostly in her bed but there's like the bathtub things mm-hmm. like that where you should be secure and we're seeing that nothing nothing is secure right i also really love the atmosphere of the first 20 minutes when it's just the kids getting together and mm-hmm. realizing that they've all had the same dream yeah that's something so simple so basic but i love it and i love the feeling that goes with it the relatability because mm-hmm. it's nothing like we're seeing a, a killer with a hockey mask it's right. just oh we all had the same dream i could see that happening and it gives you a sense of like uncanny uneasiness right and that's what sets it up before we start getting to the actual kills which i think were the first ones especially were very good mm-hmm. and then along with going to sleep the other thing that these teenagers should have all the faith in the world in and be secure in it are the adults, yes. the parents in their lives, and that's taken away from them too. There's a definite lack of faith in adults in this movie. Yes. Because none of them are any help at all. And in a lot of horror movies and just general movies in the 80s, like there's your kid adventure movies like Goonies and stuff like that, parents are just never around. Yeah. And it's just easy to like, well, let's just get rid of them. It's going to make the plot easier. And that's great in horror movies, too, because they don't have that kind of uh, safety net in the adults in their lives. Yeah. And this takes that and goes further because it's one thing when your parents aren't around. But in this movie, they are mostly indifferent or incapable of help. And then finally, at the end, we realize not only are they not able to help you, they are the cause uh-huh. of all of the things that are happening to yes. you right now. There's probably some sort of commentary on how the youth have to clean up the messes of the previous generation. Boomers. <laughs> <laughs> the adults are, are hanging on to what little authority they have, though. Like, there's the cops that are trying to, like, they're investigating, like, they can do something to a killer who kills people in their sleep. Yes. The teacher, after that whole sequence when Nancy freaks out, says, like, oh, you don't have a hall pass. Like, they're grasping for yeah. these types of things. They go to the doctor, right? And the doctors see what's happening. They see her almost die in her sleep. And they're like, well, I don't know what to do. Yeah. And then even in the arrest of Freddy, he's let out on a technicality. Like someone didn't sign a search warrant or something. So there's a theme of adults relying on these tools of the adult world and failing in doing that. Yeah. And yeah, like you were saying, I think you can easily uh, symbolically apply this to whatever the younger generation is. Right now, we could say like that about climate change, that Mm -hmm. we're saying all of these things and we have all these concerns, but, uh, you know, the older people are either like, no, we're not going to do anything, or they even deny that it's a problem. Yeah, they just don't believe us. Or they just go straight out and contribute to the problem a lot more, right? You could say the same thing um, regarding the culture around sexual assault today. Mm -hmm. All of these things that are happening and have been happening, and then younger people are saying like, hey, this is an issue. And the older people saying, like, no, it's not. And actually, we're kind of into it. It's really working really well for us. So yeah. So we can keep going with it. Yeah, exactly. And, like, attitudes towards things that were just like, well, that's just what happened in my day. Yeah. And then we're like, oh, it shouldn't have. Like, yes. that's wrong. Whatever it is. And so, and then just being called, like, soft or, like, babied or pampered or, like, whatever they're going to say mm-hmm. is that, like, the newer, younger generation cares about something and they're like, oh, well, yeah, you would because you're just, like, you have no world experience or whatever. Like, it's interesting to see the parents kind of brush off the kids. 
Yeah, and we feel like that's something new now, but it's clearly it's not. not because it's happening in this one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and this is kind of like 18-ish years after the the summer of love, after all of the the promise mm-hmm. of um, civil rights and the hippie movement of like, we're going to do all of these things. Yeah. Here they are 18 years later, and they're in the middle of Reagan's America. Yeah. And those promises have not been fulfilled. So I think... If anything, for that time, maybe that's what Craven could be commenting on. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. It is like every single generation because the our previous generation was called like hippies and lazy no goods and stuff by their parents. Yeah, and then they became the boomers. And then they became the boomers. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a repeating cycle and you can see it in this movie. What do you think that we do now that the next generation is going to be like, oh, you, uh, you gross bastards. How dare you? (laughs) I think it's going to be eating meat. Yeah? Because I still eat meat. Yeah. I know I shouldn't. I enjoy meat. It tastes too good. I'm too lazy to not. So I think in uh, 20 years, people are going to be like, you just like killed cows and ate them. And we're like, yeah, it's pretty good. (laughs) So delicious. Let me tell you. And they're like, okay, sure thing. (laughs) Millennials, <laughs> you gross millennials. Gross millennials, you guys are <laughs> disgusting. And then it's kind of interesting to see where a lot of the horror movie tropes start and where they're going. Because in this one, well, I know, like even you who you haven't seen many horror movies, no, but you had mentioned a bunch of these tropes. Like if you, what happens if you have sex in a horror movie? You die. Where'd you learn that from? Um, Scream. Yeah, because that's just like, you know, you don't do that. Yeah. And it's just like a thing I know. I probably did see it from Scream, but I'm like. But these types of horror movies are such a thing that people, even without having seen them, kind of know those things. Yeah. But that's not necessarily the case here, I think. Although, like, it literally is. Yeah. Because the first two people, the only two people who have sex in the movie are the first two to die. Yeah. So the old trope is like, yeah, you have sex and you die because you're being punished for your lack of morals or whatever it is. But I think another way to look at it, especially in the context of this movie, and this movie has definitely contributed to that idea, but Mm -hmm. I don't think that's what fuels it in this one. I kind of feel like the closer you come to being an adult, that's the the less you belong in this childhood world. And Mm -hmm. Freddy is the end of childhood. Right. Right. So these, um, when you're, if you're having sex, you're more like an adult than you are a child, right? right? You're crossing over that threshold. And in this movie, all of those systems are crumbling. And that's that next step to, to becoming an adult. And yeah, li- Freddie literally is the end of childhood mm-hmm. because he is a murderer of children yes. specifically. So I think there's some like two handed yeah. symbolism going yeah. on there as well. Have you ever heard the term survivor girl or final girl? Yes. And I know like it's like last one standing, right? Yeah, essentially. That's yeah. your Jamie Lee Curtis, yes. your um, Heather Langenkamp, mm-hmm. who plays Nancy. And as far as your final girls go, and that's a term we're going to probably have to touch on more because we're going to go through a full franchise for right. the first time. And then you'll see like, oh, yeah, that's that's a thing. Heather, I think, is a pretty good one because a lot of them will turn into like a badass action star and then they're going to beat them up. Right. And I was like, that's a bit of a stretch for for this character. I think I might have called her Heather. Heather is the actor. Nancy Nancy is the character. Um, That's a bit of a stretch for Nancy from who we meet. But she's also not just someone who is 
stumbling into success. Mm -hmm. She is doing what she can with the resources available to her. Right. She asks for help. Right. She asks for help multiple times and everyone fails her. From Johnny Depp to not being able to stay up to her mom just being an alcoholic and not listening her dad brushing her off as well. Like, she knew what she needed, but no one was willing, able to help her. Right. But she does what she can, and she does that little, like, that Home Alone bit yeah. when she's setting up all those traps and everything. Which is, that was a fun montage, because it is totally, like, it's very childlike in the way that she's setting them up. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't know what to do, so she reads a book and, like, tries to do her best. Yeah. And I like that. Nobody else is helping her. What do you think of the visual aspects of this movie? Well, I think I said it when I was saying that, like, I liked how seamless the transition between, like, dreaming and being awake was. Yes. I like that dreams would come into reality one element at a time. Yes. It's not like you open a door and now you're in a different world. And, like, the lighting changes. Slowly creeps in just as sleep kind of, like, slowly comes upon you. Yeah. And then sometimes she'd be having, like, a very, like, mundane, normal kind of moment, which made her think that she was still awake. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden stuff gets weird. And it's, like... Really interesting. I liked the visuals that they used, like just a few leaves and then all of a sudden the whole hallway is leaves. Yeah. Like it's really interesting to see that. And um, I liked that they used the idea that like dreams aren't sensical. Yeah. Like they're, they're not. Because they're not. They're your imagination going crazy like and you're out, you're not in control of dreams. So it's really fun to kind of see these like kind of childhood imagination things in dreams in this. I always love when dreams are depicted in film because every director does it a little differently. Yeah. And maybe that's just something that I've been preoccupied with, but I've in the movies that I've written, there's almost always a dream <laughs> yes. sequence. Um, I wrote one about a uh, narcoleptic pharmacist who had all of these dreams were coming into reality and had trouble differentiating. And more than anything, even though this was a like comedy drama, I took a lot from Nightmare on Elm Street, from the mm-hmm. original one, because I loved how they transitioned into dreams. Yeah. And in so many horror movies, there's the dream sequence where you're like, ah, the killer's here and they're killing me. Oh, I wake up. It's It was a dream the whole time. Yeah. That's lazy. That is lazy. This movie, however, has dream sequences all the time, but it never really cops out like that. Yeah. When the killer is about to kill her, he's always about to kill her. And she can wake up sometimes and she gets out like when she burns herself. Yeah, but even then she's still being touched by these consequences. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't feel like it's a cop out of like, oh, well, it's all okay then. It was just a dream. It's not okay. No, she's it like was a just burn a dream. on her arm. She's got But it's cuts. not okay. She manages to grab his hat. Yeah, and if nothing else, it just solidifies that the dreams are a real threat. It doesn't, the phrase just a dream doesn't apply in this because dreams are are the worst. Mm -hmm. Dreams are when he can get you. Yeah. No, I loved the look of it. I loved that they stuck to their roles. Yeah. If you've heard me rant about new Marvel movies. About about so many things. It's like so many things. They spend so much time setting up rules and then they don't follow their rules. And then I take the time to learn the rules so that I understand what's going on in the movie. And then they don't matter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And if there's anything I don't like, it's learning for no reason. <laughs> That's very true. That's why uh, her being here with me all the time is, oof. 
hard on her. <laughs> I'm always teaching you nonsense. Oh, I enjoy what you teach me. <laughs> you learned about the tilt of the earth earlier. Today. I did. I thought that was pretty cool. Good. I'm glad. Within the dreams, one of my favorite bits was when Freddy's walking down that alley and he has those giant accordion arms. Yes. I love that. What I loved is all the practical things they yeah. do. Because there's no CG in this movie. It was a super low budget movie. And when I saw this as a kid, and I saw it many years after it came out mm -hmm. because it's of the year. But um, <laughs> when I saw it, my friend and I would watch things like this and be like, oh, we could do that. Mm -hmm. And not like that. But when things are practical and it's people building things and using angles and stuff to children with a camera who are trying to make movies, things like that seem like like they are attainable. Mm -hmm. Well, you watch a, um, we always talk Marvel, so we'll say a Marvel movie. I can't do that. No. It's all made on a computer, so yeah. I can't do any of that. You have to have very special, special skills to yes. do that. While this type of movie is what led me to learn the craft of filmmaking. Hmm. Because they are doing things with the camera, with sets, with guys using fishing line to carry giant arms. They're building those things. And even if you can't do those things that well, you can conceive of like little tricks. Yes. And we were really good as children doing these like little tricks to make special effects. And that was, I think, such a special time in filmmaking. Mm -hmm. But you don't get that nearly as much anymore. And whenever there is a filmmaker who uses a lot of practical stuff, to me, it always still looks better. I just love practical effects over the computer generated stuff. Hmm, interesting. I can appreciate those computer things, but I do feel like to mask the fact that they're computers now, movies like this use lots of like really quick frames. Yeah, I think that's just also the style of editing now. Yeah. But there's so much CG that we don't even know is CG. Like dramas will just have entire backgrounds. Yeah. That were just not really there. That yeah. it's easier to shoot things on a green screen and put it in afterwards. Right. And maybe stuff like that you can't tell, but in the effects in this movie, they look objectively worse than a lot of movies now. Yeah. But there's something about it that it's still I find it charming and I find that it adds to this atmosphere, this low budget look, and it's not like his 70s stuff that was like really grimy it's somewhere in the middle but the low budget look of it makes things feel real to me mm -hmm. there is a couple of facts where like knowing what little i know about filmmaking um like when uh she was on the ceiling oh yes i was like it's clearly like an upside down room let's talk about okay. that so what it is it's a spinning room Okay. So that's why if you watch it, you can see you kind of get dragged to one corner. Uh -huh. And then she gets dragged up the wall and then across the ceiling. Right. Because that entire room is able to spin 360 degrees. That's cool. So the camera is still and that room spinning. And I think that's maybe the best scene in the entire movie. I think so. What's uh, Tina, I think, is that character's yes, name. Yes, Tina. I was... Very sad that she died so early. Yeah. I thought she was fantastic. I liked her. And I know um, Nancy is, is quite young in this, and a lot of people say she has a great performance. I kind of don't think it's very good. <laughs> I don't want to be mean. She's like a kid. She's fine. But I think Tina gave a the best performance in the movie, probably. I think she was really good, and especially from like 
from the beginning, I kind of thought Tina was the main character to begin yeah. with. Yeah, and that's and like then a, all of a sudden it's not Tina. That's like a nice little Hitchcock nod. We've kind of been going through slashers of the years. Yeah. And I said, Psycho, arguably the first slasher. And we have a main character. Mm-hmm. And then she dies like 20 minutes into the movie. Yeah. And you're like, wait a minute. What movie am I watching Oh, now? yeah. Yeah. So it's a little bit of a, a little Hitchcock misdirect there. Oh, and that's perhaps an, a nod to an early slasher. That's nice. I like then that. we did Halloween from 79, which is kind of the birth of... I was going to say modern, but that's not modern anymore. (laughs) And then this one, it definitely gets into the slasher realm, but it is, I guess, a supernatural slasher. And the supernatural movies were always more of a draw to me. So maybe Mm -hmm. that's why I like this better than some of the Friday the 13th and things like that. Right. Yeah, the supernatural ones are just, uh, there's so much fun when you can play with reality like that. Mm Mm-hmm. But so Tina's in bed and we first we get to see those cuts appear on her. Yes. Which that itself is brilliant. I thought that was very well done and I loved it. And then when she gets pulled up the wall. Yes. That was great. I think that's fantastic. And I think when you do it with CG now, it doesn't look as good because bodies have a certain weight to them. They move in a certain way. And something as silly as a spinning room is able to encapsulate that. Because <laughs> yeah. it shows you how a body actually reacts. Yeah. I uh, I liked that. Um, just like I said, knowing what I know kind of ruins the magic of that scene for me. But it was like a very cool scene to watch. Maybe you'll get to the point, or if you watch it again now perhaps, that when you know what you know and then you watch it, it's also impressive and like from a filmmaker standpoint. So was he, what's his name? Jesse? Rod. Um, when Rod is there, because he's watching Tina get dragged up the wall, is he in the room? <laughs> it's a weird thing to know. But like when you're upside down, your jaw sits differently mm-hmm. than when you're not upside down. And like your head and every, how everything sits on your face just gravity um and i was like watching his jaw and there is a couple moments where it kind of looks like he might be upside down oh yeah maybe maybe you're right actually now that i think of how it was done the way his jaw is sitting it looks like all the gravity is going up his face and down yeah you are right and now that i think of the shot i think he was like strapped into something in the foreground so i was wondering if he went upside down because like knowing how the like upside yes. down rooms work then I think yeah that did. makes more sense yes. so yeah I, I don't know why like that that clicked in my head was yeah. like oh he's upside down and she's not <laughs> yeah i think that is the case mm-hmm. i've had i forgot that he's in the foreground while she goes up the walls and everything mm-hmm. so i think he is probably strapped to the frame of the room which is spinning around right is my guess i don't know and then we get to see that same room. It's redecorated and used for Johnny Depp's death when he gets sucked into the bed. Oh, is it the same room? It is, yeah. It's that same spinning. It's the same spinning set, but they've. It's all all the stuff in it is different, so it's essentially a different. Room. Right. Yeah. Because it's just a box. It's a box. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a, a box, box with the window wherever it is, or however that works. Right. Which is like most bedrooms yeah. ever <laughs> so that's why and you can tell when the the geyser of blood comes yeah. up from the bed it's clearly water or um blood falling, falling down, down. Yeah. yeah and you can see it collecting on uh on the ceiling yes and i rather than saying like oh you can tell this is falling that's not as good as i thought like i love the effect of it being backwards because it looks 
unnatural it looks and supernatural. Wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Like it looks like there's a ghostly thing happening. Yes. Yeah. And if you watch towards the end of that scene, you can see all of the blood start going to one side of the room and it's going more diagonally. It's... The whole thing broke. It broke? So most of these things, they get one shot at it. And if it doesn't work, like that's it. Because right. you can't redo it. They don't have the budget and a lot of the things are being used up. Like they're breaking the stuff to do the shots. So right. that's your only shot. I did notice that, that the blood changes where it is really drastically. Because yeah. I was like in the beginning of that shot, I was thinking like, oh man, it's going to be like pooled in that light fixture and that's going to be so gross. So I think what happened is all that water or blood collects and it was too heavy for the rig. So it starts tilting. And from what I heard is that it all went out a window and, like, destroyed a bunch of lights, got the crew and everything. Oh. And a bunch of people were stuck, like, hanging upside down for a long time while they tried to clean all of this up. But it uh, it just wreaked havoc with that set. Oh, wow. Yeah. That sounds awful. <laughs> and then that set was reused in a movie I reference all the time. <laughs> Break into Electric Boogaloo. Really? Yeah. There's a scene where this character dances like up the walls and on the ceiling and oh, everything. Yeah. And it's, it is a cool sequence and it's it's this exact same set. That's so cool. Yeah. There was a something they shot where Johnny Depp comes back up from the hole. But they cut it. I don't know why. It's like, on the deleted scenes. It looks fine. I think they should have kept it in. Oh, like before he turns into liquid? Well... Because <laughs> I feel like it's hard to come back from that. I don't know if he's being turned into liquid, because if he were being turned into liquid, it wouldn't be that much liquid. Right. It would be much less. So it's it's supernatural. It's blood. I don't know. Okay. But he um, comes up dead. Like, it kind of slowly rises, standing almost. Oh. Dead and covered in blood, and then just flops onto the bed. Interesting. Yeah. I, I liked it. I think they should have kept it. Hmm. Also, there was a bit where it's revealed that... All of these four main characters, they each had an older sibling who was killed by Freddy. And that's why when the parents went and killed Freddy themselves. Oh. Which I think I That would have been good. better. I think it links them more. And it, it, I think that works. Like he's coming for the next generation of people. Yeah. And I think it's more vengeance that he's coming for the children of the people who did this to him. Mm -hmm. But it links them with freddie more the parents like this yeah. is why they did it it's not just like you're a bad guy which yeah i guess kill a child murderer sure yeah, i'm not gonna go be. for it um but if it were their children that makes it that's... more sense of why this like random mom is going out yes when he hasn't really done anything to her yeah that was another thing that i felt like that's one of the things that i'd want in that like extra three minutes of backstory, right? Like yeah. a reason. Like a I thought that was a good bit. I think they should have kept it. Because like no matter how angry you are about something, if you're not really involved, I feel like you're probably not going out to hunt people down. Then when we get to see Tina again, that was a scene I loved a lot in the school when mm -hmm. we first hear the whispering and yeah. then we see her in the body bag. Yeah, That was great. And that actress, I think, just nailed it. She was great. I liked that because... I think you get to see her arm falling out of a bag on the news or something. Is that that? I know in that sequence, first she's standing in the body bag and yeah. it's unzipped a little bit and she's talking to Nancy. And then when Nancy goes into the hall, the body bag is laying flat. Yes. And then the legs raise up as if it's being dragged by an mm. invisible person. And then her arm flops out and then it's dragged away. 
And that scene I thought was very eerie and well done. So uh, what I was referencing was when Tino is taken away by the coroner. Oh, it mirrors that? It mirrors that on the news broadcast. Because I was like, why are they like broadcasting a dead body? that wouldn't happen today but um i think her arm kind of falls off the gurney out of the bag and so i liked the continuity of once she was laying down in the body bag in the hallway that her arm kind of like falls out like it did off the gurney and that would make sense if nancy had seen that and now it's in it's her like in her subconscious yeah. yeah i liked that because that is totally like a thing like if you see something scary or bad on tv it might show up in your dreams because you're probably still thinking about it in the back of your mind another sequence i thought that was a lot of fun was in the bathtub when we see the hand coming up between her legs yeah because there is a lot of sexual stuff going mm-hmm. on in this movie and although not direct, it's it's, it's pretty there. heavily hinted it's at. Like an I would undertone say. of it, yeah. yeah. And that was it's such a great uh, a great sequence because what's more terrifying than that, right? Yeah, and the bath, another place where you should feel like totally safe. Yeah, because it's alone. You're usually in a closed room, like. And she's had all of these bad experiences in her bed, so now she's to to the bath to like try to find some solace yeah. there. But of course, she still can't. And then that sequence in Tina's room with Freddy kind of stretching the wall above Nancy. That was so cool. That's a great one. That's been used in so many movies over the years. Oh, that's fun. No, that was a neat um, where he's like, I thought of it as like he's trying to break the barrier. Yeah. Between like her being asleep and her dreaming. Mm -hmm. And it even uh, knocks off the crucifix, which is another little bit of symbolism. Yeah. Are there any other sequences that you liked a lot? I liked the sequence where um, the kid was in the jail cell and the sheet is like slowly coming up like his torso and then wrapping itself around his neck. I thought that was really well done. How do you think that one was done? It was like wire maybe? Yeah, I assume I didn't look into it, but I would guess that there's wire in there and then it's played backwards. It's yeah. being like pulled off of his neck and then That's, they just reverse yeah, it. Yeah, I assume that it was like a moldable wire so that it could go yeah. like around his neck. And then, yeah, it was like so that it doesn't just flop off because sheets don't just stay on your neck. <laughs> so I liked that one. Um, and uh, that whole police jail area like pretty scary too mm-hmm. and also i think it's funny that there were like windows into it oh i didn't notice that like you could just come and like look in the window and see the people in jail cells and be like why wasn't there people there all the time <laughs> like a town attraction just looking at people in jail yeah i don't know if there was a window to a jail i don't think i'd go look in it oh i was like they're they're probably having a hard, bad enough day they don't need me there <laughs> okay that's fair how did you like the music in the movie it really set the time period. It is very 80s, that's it's for sure. very 80s. And it's nice because, like, I wasn't really alive in the 80s. I had, like, a year and a half of 80s. So it's not like I really experienced it. And so this does a really good job of bringing back that, like, nostalgia for the 80s that exists. And so I liked that. I think what they were listening to was more juvenile like it wasn't like adult stuff that they were doing except for miss naked america 
Oh, right. Um, so I, I liked that, and I think that it really fit with what was going on in the movie. That the Freddy Krueger noise, that like tinkly piano kind of thing. Do you know what I'm talking about? Maybe not, because there's a few kind of distinct themes going on throughout it. And one I really love, and one I'm like, meh. So there is one that's used during more action-y sequences, mm-hmm. and it would kind of have almost like a laser effect. I think that's what I'm talking about. That I didn't care for, okay. especially when it would have those stings. But what I really loved was the Freddy theme that we would hear at other points that was much more ominous and understated. Mm -hmm. And it's a theme that goes throughout the movie in different ways. And it's almost like a lullaby that is just slightly off key. Right. That one I really loved. Yeah, I think I mixed them both in my head into one um but i liked both of those i think it it feels like a movie from the 80s and it also is like like you said the off-key lullaby kind of thing is like when you distort things in your dreams Mm -hmm. i think that's kind of what it reminds me of yeah it's like you were listening to this lullaby but then you fall asleep and everything's getting warped yeah And I thought that was very clever. The other part, the faster stuff, just seems like, yep, that was the time. That's what things sounded like. And you either love it or you hate it. I kind of come down on the middle for the most part. But that lullaby theme, I think, was very well done. Mm -hmm. And it reminded me of, you know, like wind up gramophones. Why do I know this? (laughs) Like as they're running out of like power. More like a music box. Yeah, it's like, mm, yeah, and then it gets kind of distorted and the voice goes kind of weird. Yeah. And that's what it reminded me of. Like the end of the night, it's the middle of the night, it's kind of a spooky time. And your music is slowly like winding down. All right. Well, I think we're just about at the end of our discussion, but we are going to go on to the next one. Mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts of where this movie is going to go? I hope that Nancy is in it and I hope that we get to see kind of the aftermath of Freddy before we get back into Freddy like I'd like to see because like literally all our friends died (laughs) so it's like I'd like to see a little bit about her life and like if her mom is actually stopped drinking or like whatever and if her dad cares more about her and like lives with her like something like i'd just like to see what happens Mm -hmm. um and then uh i'm interested to see how freddie manages to sneak into her dreams because i feel like at this point she's gonna be like hyper vigilant and i guess we didn't really talk about the end of this movie what did you think about the end end so she turns her back on freddie we think she's uh she's one she comes out into the sunlight but then in the ending we get that is in the theatrical release uh her friends come by in a car the car has a freddy krueger like pattern to it and drives off sometimes freddy's the driver of that car depending on the version yeah what did you think of that oh and the mom gets sucked in through the door right which i thought looked like bad cg it did it's not cg 
it was just a dummy that they pull in through the window real fast. And I didn't think it looked great. But what'd you think of that ending? I would have been happy if she just stepped out into the sunlight. I didn't like it. Yeah, it's a bad ending, I think. I think that could leave it open for a sequel. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like she killed him. Or, like, you can't really kill a ghost. But, like, she didn't, like, do something really final in that, yeah. like, final sequence. So I think her stepping into the light and then the next movie being, like, fast forward a couple of years and he's back. Yeah. Something because happens he's, to trigger him. He's a, a nightmare. Yeah. If he comes back, I wouldn't be like, hey, you killed him. No, you killed him in a yeah. dream. And he's, like, a dream demon or whatever. So, yeah, of course he can come back. I don't think you need to have... This silly tacked on ending, which is what I would always fight against in uh, any movies that I write. Yeah. Like, you can't, it's unnecessary and it it seems kind of silly. Yeah. It's like, it's kind of a gotcha. Mm -hmm. It's like a wink to the camera too much. Yeah. And this movie has like a little bit of that because it is kind of getting into a little bit of comedy elements every now and then. But that was too much. I didn't care for the ending. Mm hmm. I agree. I think her stepping out into the sunlight is enough of a ambiguous ending that we can like continue on in the franchise yeah. without making it stupid. <laughs> or you have her defeat Freddy in her dreams and then the mom or the dad or whoever is like, what happened? And she's like, I beat him. I won and I'm, we're going to be free. And then her or someone else can be like, yeah, but you know how nightmares are. They never die. Mm-hmm. And right there, you just have to need a line yeah. about, like, he can always come back and yeah. then you can have your sequels. Exactly. That, that, that is, in fact, a line from a Nightmare Island movie. Nightmares At never the die. end, he dies and they're like, well, I guess this is solved. And I think the line is actually, like, oh, because it was the legend of Hookface. And right. they go like, you know how legends are. They never die. Uh-huh. And then he can come back in the next movie. Is Nightmares <laughs> Never Die from this franchise? It might be from a movie I wrote, or what's very possible, I may have ripped it off from this without even realizing it. Yeah, because I feel like I've heard that phrase before, just around. So well, I we'll look out for it. Yeah, we'll look out for it. And you might get some Freddy Krueger backstory, maybe? <gasps> I'd like that. Like I said, I just like three more minutes of backstory. <laughs> but then you might get like six more hours of it now, and then you'll be like, oh, it's too much. I didn't need that much. <laughs> we'll see. I'm... I'm- Keeping an open mind. So in Scream as well, they always say, like, these are the rules for sequels. Mm -hmm. Do you remember all the rules for the sequels? No. I can't F the top of my head either, but I think one of them, more blood, bigger body count, Mm -hmm. things like that. So maybe we'll be seeing that in the next one. Okay. Well, there's a lot of blood in this movie. (laughs) True, but only three people died. True. It's not... I, didn't, I was about to say it's not a very bloody movie, but it's literally a very bloody yeah. movie. But it's not like a super gory movie. No. It's, when you it get blood, s- it's just big splashes of blood not even coming from a human, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. It's it kind of disembodied. It's not... It's like The Shining when it, the blood gets off the elevator. Yeah. Well, any last thoughts on A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 1? Um, See it. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. I um am already excited to watch the second one. 
and I uh, look forward to seeing how the franchise changes. Because mm-hmm. I know, like, when you end up with a lot of sequels, the quality ends up going down. So it's I'm pretty inevitable. Int- I can't yeah. think of anything that has this many that gets good. Yeah. Later. So I'm excited to see where that decline happens. Yeah, and for this one, I think, I guess it's too late to recommend the movie because we already just spoiled <laughs> yeah. the whole thing. But I think a lot of movies get painted with the same brush. And I think it's very reductive to say like, oh yeah, it's slasher movies. It's, there's a girl, she has sex, and then she gets killed, but one girl survives. The end. It just happens yeah. over and over again. And I think that's really dismissive and reductive because I think a lot of these movies, especially at the beginning of their franchises, were doing some really interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. Some really interesting stuff that you can often only do in a movie like this. Right. I think your big prestige dramas weren't taking the risks that a low-budget horror movie can take. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of really clever commentary. There's a really a lot of clever filmmaking as far as the technique is in um, employing all these practical effects and building things and doing things on such a low budget. Because this movie comes out, it costs about $1 million to make, yeah. which is low budget, and it ends up making about $57 million. So it's very successful. It launches this whole studio that wouldn't have existed without it. And New Line, of course, goes on to do all sorts of other things. Like I said, I remember seeing them on like everything I watched. And now they own the rights to uh, Nightmare on Elm Street and to the character of Freddy Krueger. For better or worse, and that's where we will pick up next episode. And we can talk a little bit about how part two becomes what it is, how and why. But Nightmare on Elm Street Part 1, I think one of the best slasher movies, I think... Is this why it's called a slasher? Because he slashes people with his hand? Yeah. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Did you think slasher was just more like a general term that had nothing to do with it? Yeah. Well, they're all knife movies. Okay. Halloween... Psycho. I never made that connection. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, slasher because they're all knife based. Right. Okay. I never, yeah. I just thought it was like a general kind of horror thing. No, no. That's what separates a slasher from something else. Like you have your supernatural horror, you have your gothic horror. I would say this is a supernatural slasher because it has both right. going on. But in the end, somebody's getting cut with a knife. Awesome. So that's not awesome. awesome. No, sorry, that was the wrong, (laughs) wrong word. I'm choosing it. You know what? Sometimes it's pretty awesome. Yeah. So I think that's cool. But that a little bit of learning. You know what? That right there. That's what is going to lead the rest of the franchise. Because at uh, in the 70s and the early 80s, we have like, oh yeah, this is a symbol for a lost generation and of. people losing faith in institutions that had supported them in the past. Mm-hmm. And then we get into the point of, um, oh, that person got slashed up? Awesome. Yeah. That is actually where we go. Huh. Okay, cool. Because now if you look at it like a slasher type movie, there's not too many of them, but you're celebrating the kills more. Mm. And uh, inevitably all horror franchises have to go a certain way of making the villain a hero mm-hmm. maybe not heroic but making it the protagonist because that's what's sticking around right 
you have the same killer all the time. So you can't have the same killer all the time doing the same thing and still have them be like the bad part of the movie right. and still have little screen time. Because I think Freddy's on for like seven minutes in this movie. Oh, wow. You need to start doing more of it. You need to get more backstory. You need to start changing that character. And eventually people start cheering for the villain. Right. Well, that's why there's like Freddy versus Jason as a movie. Right. Because you just get rid of all the other characters and all of a sudden it's just that villain. Yeah. Versus so another villain. For our little um, project, I think that's a good place to start. We have this where the villain is in it for a couple of minutes, has maybe four or five lines. And we have all of this symbolism about the loss of innocence, the getting into the adult world, and a lack of faith in adults. And then we'll see where things go after. Excellent. <laughs> I hope I'm not the only person who didn't realize that slasher was like a specific thing. I guess I just never, I, 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 I made slasher, yeah. so I kind of forgot that maybe not everybody knows that. But yes, they are the movies where people get cut with knives, Psycho probably being the first one. And then going into Halloween, starting that uh, this whole line of Friday the 13th, Nightmare mm-hmm. on Elm Street. And uh, then there's a re- rebirth of it with Wes Craven again in the 90s with Scream. Okay, awesome. And then you get into like the torture porn slasher and your hostels and stuff right. and saws and whatnot. But I, I don't enjoy know. enjoy those. I'm not well versed in those. I've seen a couple. The first saw I think was good. I saw that. Um, did not enjoy it. Yeah. They're uncomfortable. Yeah, they are. It's like too real to life. Yeah. Yeah. But that's that's what they were doing. But then I think it gets uh, weird and silly and not good later right. on. So our second sponsor of the episode is Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider in Alberta, offering internet, electricity, and natural gas with low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. Winter is coming, and energy usage for all Albertans will be increasing, so now is a great time for listeners to look at their utility bills and ensure that they are on the best plan. Albertans have a choice for who they pay their utility bills to. Park Power is happy to provide non-obligation comparisons. If you decide to switch providers, it's easy, and you can feel good knowing that you are supporting a local business, helping to give back to our communities with your local utility bills. Learn more at parkpower.ca. All right. Well, we are going to keep the spookiness going as we talk about A Nightmare on Elm Street 2 next week. Do you want to guess the subtitle? It's not Electric Boogaloo. Oh, come on. Freddy Boogaloo. (laughs) Uh, Is it like Freddy Strikes Back? Yep. Freddy Returns? I think it's Freddy's Revenge. Actually, I'm not sure. Let's, we'll, you know what? We'll okay. figure it out next week. Freddy Strikes Back. Yeah. Again. The Rise of Freddy. Yeah. It's going to be like, bring it on. It's going to be like, bring it on, bring it on again. Freddy. Oh, remember how I said I have big news for you, but I was only going to tell you on the podcast? Yeah, what? So what is your favorite franchise? Bring it on. And a lot of my fra- favorite franchises are like, what type of movie? Slashers. Horror movies yeah. in general. What if, what if Bring It On made a horror movie? That would be interesting. That would be interesting. Is it happening? What if it's coming out like this week or something? Oh my God. Is it like a streaming service one or is it like a movie theater one? So I know very little about it, but thanks to friend of the show, Andrew, Andrew, who's just like the best anyway, um, he sent me a link, Bring It On 
Cheer or Die. What? So I think it is a sci-fi original, the S-Y-F-Y, the the network. Okay, yeah, yeah. And I believe it is going to be, it was supposed to come out fall 2022. Is it now fall 2022? Oh, it's very much fall 2022. So I think it could be coming out any moment and uh, we'll keep you posted because we're, we're going to fucking cover it, right? We have to clearly yeah. do it on the podcast. <laughs> um. Oh, wow. I'm like really excited about that now. Yeah. There is a long line of cheerleader horror movies yes. as well. It is a thing that happens a lot. So I'm glad we can bring two of our loves into one movie and we'll cover that at some point. If it's this year, I don't know. We might have to do like nine episodes in October or something. We could do that first episode in November. True, true. Yeah. We'll, we'll get back to you all because I know you want to hear about it. Awesome. So um, that being said, with future episodes, some of our podcast network pals are doing spooky episodes this month. A few of them I don't have release dates for, but um, Bollywood is for Lovers is doing their annual Hindi horror movie episode. It's a Conspiracy is doing two episodes, one on House of the Dolls and one Halloween special. And I have some notes coming out October 28th is doing a Halloween special. Kyle and Dave are covering four movies from 1982. Um, That was a good year. Including Friday the 13th, number three, Halloween three, Poltergeist, and The Thing. The Thing and Poltergeist are very good. Halloween three is maybe the worst Halloween. Michael Myers isn't even in it. And uh, Friday the 13th, three is 82? Yes. I think that's one of my favorites as well. That was the 3D one. Oh, fun. Um, Repodcasting coming out just actually, it will already be out when this is released. Um, It came out October 1st, and they are recasting the So Bad It's Scary Nicolas Cage movie Outcast. And Three Kitchens will be doing a crossover episode with us. Yay! Um, And that should be coming out October the 25th. So you can find us on their feed as well. Because you just can't get enough of us no, anymore. No, so you should just listen to all the Halloween content from the Alberta Podcast Network. If we're just doing shout outs, yeah. let's say, um, thanks, Lori. Lori's listening all the time and gave me some good feedback. Sean always is still around, yes. still listening to our garbage. Thanks very much because <laughs> he was talking about Jaws because that was like the movie yeah. of his childhood. So that's fun. Uh, Rishi, I don't know who Rishi is, but reached out on Twitter, so that's cool. Oh, that's fun. Hi, people. So if you talk to us, we have so few fans that uh, we'll talk back. <laughs> we do always really get excited when we see people in real life who are like big fans of the podcast and we didn't know. Yeah. It's it's kind of fun. And then they get really excited and we get really excited and then um, everyone's happy. So we will see you next Monday when we discuss the second Nightmare on Elm Street. Bye, everyone. Goodbye. Ah. I don't know why my hands have to be here when I do that. This is like cat whiskers? (laughs) I don't know. I have a spooky mustache. Yeah, that's what it is. It's a spooky mustache.